Aren't you glad God keeps all his promises? Especially after a year like 2020, you know, where there's so much uncertainty in, in everyone's life to some degree, a year that nobody really saw coming, a year that a lot of us just can't make sense of. But what if I told you God did see it coming? And what if I told you you could make sense of it? Because I think you can, and what it requires is some context. Do you know what I mean by that? Let's see if I can illustrate it a little bit. Have you ever, you ever watched The Lord of the Rings, read the books? <clears throat> it seems like I bring that up every now and then, and about half of you go, yes, love it. The other half of you go, oh, just groan, oh, again. Here we go. Here's what I want you to do. If you've seen it, um, I'm going to show you some facts from it, or you've read the books, and, and you're going to see some things that are, are going to make some sense to you because you have some context. For the rest of you who've never seen it, never read it, you're going to see some things, and uh, it's just going to be totally out of left field for you. So watch this, and I'm curious what your response might be. those of you who've seen the movie or have read the books, you saw some of those things and certain things came to mind for you, right? It was, a, it was a reminder of what you already knew about. It was a reminder of the story. And you might not have remembered all the details, but you, you had an idea that kind of sparked some memories. Like, oh yeah, I remember that. You, you, the reason is you have a little bit of context for how to put that together. And you're able, even if you didn't know all the details, you'd be able, and you know how now, to go back and connect all the dots, right? But for others of you, you've never read the book, you've never seen the movie, or I should say books and movies, plural. And for you, you're like, who's Frodo? Who names their kid Frodo? What an awful name. And, and not only that, but like nothing really had any context. Who's Sauron? Who are... Who are some of these people? What are some of these things? It's just weird, Josh. Weird. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to watch it. But that's because you have no context for the story, so it doesn't make sense, and it's just disjointed. Well, uh, the reality is a lot of people go through life like that. They understand life, and they understand ultimately their Bible, Kind of like that video where it's just, they know bits and pieces and things come flying at them, but they have no way to contextualize it and put it together and understand life and understand the Bible. And those two things, by the way, are 
connected because uh, this story is a story of God's love for you and you're part of the story. And so when there's no context, none of it makes sense and we search for explanations all over the place that aren't there. 2020 was a year that this happened for a lot of people. Uh, A lot of things came flying at them, maybe to you, is disorienting. It felt out of the blue. It didn't make sense. For some, it was even devastating. Well, there's a press on then to get to 2021 and hope the new year brings something new, not knowing that there's context even to last year. By the way, if you recognize that video, we'd shown that before in the past, and we did a series even through the storyline of the Bible and how you fit into it a number of years ago uh, that you might check out called The Story. But as we look this morning, we're going to be in Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11. And uh, in light of all this, I want to give you a little context before we get to that story. So that when you hear the story and you, uh, we teach through it, you're not receiving all of these things as just facts flying at you. And you're like, it, it helps so much to know the whole of how it fits in. So I mentioned already that the Bible is the true story of how God loves, pursues, and saves his people from their sin and their own destruction. That's what, that's what this book is. It's the true story of how God loves, pursues, and saves us from our sin and from our own destruction. And uh, from early in the book, in the book of Genesis, early in the Bible, we learn that, that God has a plan to fix everything that's messed up in this world, to fix our sin, to rescue us. And he's going to send a savior. We find out, it's like in the first few pages of the book, he's gonna send a savior. And then the rest of this book is tracing that promise. Number one, who is that savior? Who's it gonna be? And number two, how is he gonna fix everything? And that's the story of the Bible. And and much of what's here is is history and it's happened and it's tracing that story. And so we can look back and we know that that savior is Jesus. That's the one God promised. But there's also a portion of this that's yet future. And so uh, there's a reality where you and I are in the pages of this book. And it's the context by which life makes sense because it's the story that you and I are living in. Well, early in this story, after God makes that promise and we're, you know, you're kind of going along tracing who is the savior going to be? How's God going to fix all this? We come across a guy named Abraham. You know Abraham? Maybe you don't know who he is, but maybe you sung about him if you went to VBS as a kid. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. You did all the, all the motions. Well, God makes a handful of promises to Abraham, and it's going to be through Abraham that this Savior is going to come. Uh, and he makes a, a few secondary promises to Abraham. Number one, uh, he's going to uh, make his name great. He's going to bless the entire world through Abraham and his descendants. That's promise number one. This is all in Genesis chapter 12. Promise number two, he's uh, not only going to make his name great, he's going to make Abraham into a great nation of people. He's going to give him a huge family tree, both physically and spiritually after him. And then the third promise is he's going to give him a great land, a place where he can be safe and dwell in his people, his family, after him and be secure. And as the story unfolds, God is, is at work 
keeping his promise from Genesis 3 to send a savior and his secondary promises to Abraham and to others where he's going to keep these promises. And so what happens is after these promises to Abraham, you fast forward about 400 years and now God's people, Abraham's descendants are in the nation of Egypt, in the land of Egypt. And in Egypt, God is keeping these promises. He, he makes his name great. He blesses the whole world through his people because of a famine. Everybody comes under uh, one of Abraham's descendants, Joseph's leadership, and the whole world's blessed. And then he makes them into a great nation. Over those 400 years, they multiply so much that, that Pharaoh is afraid of them, and he's going to put them into slavery so that they can't rebel against them. And by the way, these promises are promises God is still keeping. He's still blessing the world in that way. He's still multiplying his people physically and spiritually. And uh, he's also promised, though, to give them a great land. And so it happens in uh, Exodus after they become slaves now, after these 400 years, God's going to keep this third part of the promise and he's going to rescue them from their oppressor to give them the land, the, the promised land that he promised to Abraham. And so they... They get led out by this guy named Moses who God calls at about the age of 80. If you feel like you're too old for God to use you, Moses was 80 before he did anything. God can use you. If you're breathing, he's got plans for your life and good things for you. And uh, so Moses, you may know a little bit about him and how God uses him. He uses him to, to, to lead the plagues and lead his people out. And they part the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army's chasing after him, right? And they cross the Red Sea into the Sinai Desert. And then they turn around and the sea closes up over Pharaoh's army when they're chasing him. They all drowned in the Red Sea. And they make it out and then they're on their way to this promised land. And so before they get there though, God's gonna give them some instructions of how they're supposed to live once they get there so life goes good for them. Because I mean, they've been in slavery now for a generation or more. And so they stop at Mount Sinai and God uh, announces audibly for everyone to hear. If you go read the text, everyone heard God give the 10 commandments, his top 10 list. And then God writes them down on a, stone a couple stone tablets and gives them to Moses because he knows we're forgetful and the people will probably forget, so we better write it down. Well, that's how they're supposed to live when they get into this promised land. And you can summarize those Ten Commandments really with two choices. If you choose to obey, you're choosing blessing. You obey me, God says, I'm going to bless you. But if you choose to sin, then I'm going to discipline you and you're choosing to suffer. Choose to obey, choose blessing, choose to sin, choose to suffer. And really, uh, the rest of the Old Testament, you see this uh, played out over and over again, where when God's people obey, they're blessed. When they sin, they suffer and they're disciplined. And maybe you've even seen it in your own life, this spiritual truth, where when you obey, uh, God blesses, and when you sin, God disciplines you, and usually involves some suffering. Well, um, after laying out the ground rules, then God leads them up to the edge of the land that he's going to give them, that he promised to Abraham, and Moses, uh, being a good leader, he sends in some spies to check it out before they go into battle, 
and sends 12 of them. They're there for 40 days checking out the land and they come back with their report. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb are like, this land is awesome. It's everything God promised. Let's do it. Let's go. God is with us. He's given it to us. The other 10 though, they come back and they're like, ah, they're big. The people are big. The cities are fortified. They're going to just crush us. We're like grasshoppers to them. There's no way. Well, all the people who are there, the uh, probably over a million people believe the 10. Now, uh, if they would choose to obey, God said, go take the land. What would happen? They'd make it. He'd bless them. But they believed the 10 and they chose not to go take the land. And so what happened? They're going to suffer. And for 40 years now, they spend in the wilderness wandering. One year for every day, the spies were in the land and they suffer in the wilderness until that whole generation dies off because of their lack of faith and their unwillingness to obey the Lord. And then the next generation is going to go in. And so that's what brings us to the book of Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy, I don't know if you know this or not, but the, the term Deuteronomy actually means literally second law. It's the second telling of what God had given to Moses at Mount Sinai of how the people are to live as they go forward into the land. Why has he got to tell it again? Well, because there's a new generation. The first generation died off in the wilderness. And so now Moses has to repeat it for this new generation that spent uh, 40 years of their life wandering in the desert. And so God uh, gives through Moses this uh, second law. And uh, it's the same thing because check this out, Deuteronomy chapter 11. Uh, Moses says, listen to me, I'm setting a blessing and a curse in front of you today. I'm giving you the commands of the Lord, your God. We're going to see this a lot today where he says, the Lord, your God. Not just the Lord, a God, but the Lord, your God, personal. He loves you. He's with you. He's a good dad. The Lord, your God. And you'll be blessed if you what? Obey. <laughs> but you'll be cursed. You'll suffer if you sin, if you don't obey. So don't turn away from the path I'm now commanding you to take, Moses tells him. Your parents did. It didn't go well. Look back, learn from them. And so uh, what we're going to do this morning is after setting all that up, giving you a little context, we're going to look at the early part of Deuteronomy chapter 11 because Moses is giving instruction for them entering this new land, this whole new experience after spending an incredibly long time suffering in a wilderness uh, through a really hard time. And I think for us, as we enter into a new year, there's some good words here for us as we enter into a new year after maybe a long time of maybe a wilderness over the last year for you. So with that, let me pray. We're gonna be in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and uh, we're gonna get some hope for this new year. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace to us, your goodness. Thanks that... Uh, you, as we sang already this morning, you're sovereign, you're in control, uh, you love us, and uh, Lord, you promised to bless us as we obey you and follow you. Remind us this morning that you're in full control, that, that you watch over the year from the beginning to the end, that you watch over our lives every, uh, every little detail, and Lord, that you even use the hardest of things in our life uh, to show your love and your care for us and to to make us more like Jesus. Help us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, uh, if you got your Bible, you can open up to Deuteronomy with me. And uh, it's toward the beginning of your Bible, fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 11. And again, remember, Moses is telling this all to a new generation. And uh, here's what he says. He says, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, his commandments, always. Now, in light of what we just talked about, Moses says, uh, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, keep his statutes, his rules, his commandments always. If they do this, what's going to happen? Choose to obey, choose blessing, right? It's going to go well for them. If they don't, it's going to be rough. And, and notice, too, part of loving the Lord is keeping his commandments, is obeying him. Jesus said, if, if you love me, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will do what I say. You'll keep my commands. And so they're always tied together. And it's not like, a, well, today I can do it. Tomorrow, I don't know. Oh, no, no, do it always, always. Now, we all fail at that, but there's grace. And our goal ought to be, but with the Spirit's help, to always love him, always obey. And then he says in verse 2, consider today, consider that word consider. Do you know one of the most common commands in all the Bible is the command to remember, to consider, to think about, to look back, to remember. And uh, the reality is that God often has us look back. He does. He, he says it's a good thing for us to look back, to look back at a hard year, to look back at a, maybe a hard decade, look back at a hard situation, that it's good because there's also good things we can look back on too. And it's good for us to look back. And every time God tells us to remember, it's a common command to consider, to remember, to think about. Listen, hear this. And we'll talk about it. It's always with a view toward the present and the future. He doesn't say remember it so that you can, you know, live in the past and dwell on that and be just stuck there forever. He says, no, remember that so that you would remember maybe how good I was then so you can trust me and know I'm going to be good today and I'm going to be good tomorrow and you can move forward. Our God's a future-oriented God. Or maybe he says, remember your sin, remember the things you did. Now, does he say that so that you would be shamed and be stuck in that shame? No. He tells you to remember that because remember when you did that and you chose to sin and you chose to suffer? Don't do that today and don't do it tomorrow. Remember it with a view towards today and the future, right? That's why God tells us to remember. That's why he tells us so many times. And it's always with the present and future in view, never with a view to just be stuck in the past. But God does have us look back. And that's what Moses tells the people here. To consider today. Today, there it is in the present. Right now, today, think about. And look what he tells them to think about. By the way, the little parenthesis here, he says, since I'm not speaking to your children who have not known or seen it, he's saying, you, you've seen all this. You're going to look back on your life. This is for you, the Lord your God. You look back. Uh, consider, and look at what he tells us to consider. Consider the discipline of the Lord your God. Really, discipline? That's what you're telling me, Moses? I've got to think about Discipline? I don't know about you, but I hear that word and that's not maybe a pleasant word. It doesn't, at least it doesn't cause like warm fuzzies in me to think about discipline of the Lord. How about you? 
but that's what Moses says. He says to remember the discipline of the Lord, your God. Again, your God. He's a personal God. He loves you. Discipline's not fun, but it, that word is actually tied to wisdom over and over in the Old Testament. That wisdom comes through the discipline of the Lord, our, our own discipline in terms of disciplining ourselves to, in spiritual disciplines to love the Lord and follow him and obey him. Uh, and, and one other comment here before we dive into this a little more. The discipline of the Lord, you gotta make sure you understand this is not the punishment of the Lord. Discipline is not punishment. Punishment is retribution. It's, it's, it's wrath for sin. There's a price to be paid, a penalty to be meted out, right? Discipline has in view training and guidance. So, so parents, uh, if, if you're like me, your, your parent or grandparent, we don't punish our kids, but we do discipline them. We give discipline them because we, we want to train them to follow and love the Lord. Now, it might feel like or look like punishment to them, but we know when we do it from a loving heart, it's actually discipline, helping them grow, giving them guidance, right? Punishment, on the other hand, though, is punitive. It's punitive. And there will be punishment for those who don't trust Jesus Christ, who don't become a follower of his and believe upon him in God's wrath, but there's discipline, which sometimes it feels like punishment, but it's not. It's discipline. It's God training you and loving you and caring for you. So what does the discipline of the Lord look like if Moses tells us to remember it? Well, sometimes the discipline of the Lord comes from uh, maybe a painful confrontation from a friend. Uh, maybe uh, the discipline of the Lord would come to you in your life just from learning from your mistakes. That was a really dumb decision. And now I had to deal with some consequences and God's gonna use that to to discipline me, to love me, to train me, to grow me. Uh, maybe, you know, oftentimes too, the discipline of the Lord can actually come from our suffering. Sometimes it's suffering because of something that's just allowed to happen in our life that doesn't make sense and is hard, but that God uses to, to train us, to grow us. Maybe that's a better way to think of it in those terms. Other times, there are times though where God, uh, and we see this in scripture, where God actually uh, ordains suffering for his people. And sometimes the hard thing that he's taking you through, he would look at it and go, yeah, that's incredibly hard, but I'm taking you through it because I love you and I'll be with you through it and I'll train you through it. Uh, Rick Warren, he's a pastor uh, on the West Coast. He, he has a quote where he says, you know, if, if, if God's plan really is to conform you into the image of his son, like we read in the New Testament, it could be that he's gonna have to take you through some of the th same things he took his son through. And it's part of him training and growing you and growing me. Uh, and be encouraged when that happens because Hebrews 12 tells us the Lord disciplines the ones that he loves. He disciplines you if he loves you. Just like a good dad, a good mom disciplines their kids because they love them, not to punish them, not to be punitive and mete out wrath on them, but because they love them, to train them. That's why God disciplines us. So Moses tells us, consider today the discipline of the Lord your God. Looking back on your life, looking back on 2020, could it be that, that some of the suffering of 2020 or the hardship for you is, 
something that God wants to use in your life to train you to be more like Jesus, to trust him more, to love him more. It could have been a horrible, awful thing that doesn't make sense. But God is a master at taking even those things and using them for good in our lives. Not calling it good, using it for good. Uh, he says also then consider his greatness. See, that's the only way really is this one makes sense is when we consider how great he is, that he can use even the hardest things to love us. His mighty hands, his outstretched arm. You look on to verse three, his, his signs and his deeds that he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land. And what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses and their chariots. See now, again, back to context, if you didn't know some of those stories, you didn't know the context of what was happening, that God was leading them to the promised land and that this is actually part of their journey. You look back and now that makes sense and there's context to it and why it's good to remember how he made the, the water of the Red Sea flow over them as they pursued after you and how the Lord has destroyed them to this day. And remember too, notice this, he says what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place. Sometimes suffering is, is God ordained to train us. Uh, what he did to you in the wilderness, well, what did he do? Well, they chose to sin. They, there was discipline for them. They were suffering for 40 years in a hard time so that they would trust him moving forward. And their, their suffering was for us. Did you know that? Paul tells the church in Corinth these things, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, if you want to write it down, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Why? So that we'd look back with a view to today and the future and know, okay, do that, don't do that because that's God's plan. That's going to make life best today and tomorrow going forward. But recognize even in these things that God did to them, it wasn't punishment. It wasn't him meeting out wrath. It was his discipline because he's a good dad. However, you get to verse six and you remember that he does punish those who don't know him. Because he says also, remember what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. You remember them, right? It's okay if you don't. I'll explain to you who they are. Uh, Dathan and Abram, uh, they were part of something called Korah's Rebellion in the book of Genesis, in the, or excuse me, the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. And uh, these four guys and their households, it was uh, Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and uh, On were the guys. And uh, they weren't real pleased with Moses' leadership. Moses had led them across the Red Sea. He had led them into the Sinai Desert. They were on their way to the Promised Land. And of course, after the spies came back and uh, everybody believed the, the bad report and now they're, they're suffering for their sin in the wilderness, they don't appreciate the fact that Moses... One has led them there. Two is talking about the fact that they're going to stay there for a while because of their sin. And so they go after him. You, you can read all about this in Numbers chapter 16 as they get upset with Moses and Aaron and the other elders. And uh, th these guys, they gather up their own uh, little group of people, about 250 well-known men in the congregation of Israel. And they cause a faction 
them and their families. And they come to Moses uh, complaining and angry and upset and uh, just causing division among God's people. And they say, Moses, you've gone too far. They accuse him of, and Aaron and the other leaders of making decisions that benefited themselves and took advantage of all the people, which if that was true, that'd be terrible, right? They ought to be confronted. But uh, so Moses falls on his face. He's grief stricken. He's, he's also angry. He goes to God in prayer. Then he goes to Korah and he says, here, we're going to have a little contest and they light these censers and God's going to show us whose side he's on. And to make a, a little bit of a longer story that you can read shorter, what happens is, is uh, Moses goes to Korah, then he goes to Dathan and Abiram. Abiram and Dathan won't come out of their tents. They're like, no, we're not coming out, Moses. You took us from a land flowing with milk and honey over there in Egypt. It wasn't a land flowing with milk and honey. They were slaves, remember? And you were supposed to be taking us to a land flowing with milk and honey, but we're in the desert. And Moses is thinking, well, yeah, because it's your own fault. <laughs> and... Uh, so Moses, who already had a little anger problem, got pretty angry. And what happens then is Moses, uh, the Lord tells Moses, and Moses tells all the people, get away from their tents. Get out of there. Leave now. And so uh, Dathan and Abiram come out after yelling from inside, not willing to meet with Moses. They come out to see what's going on. And uh, suddenly we read that the, the earth opened up below them, swallowed them alive, they and all their households, all, the, all those men, uh, and they fell directly into Sheol, into hell. And then the earth closed back up over them. <laughs> That's punishment. <laughs> right? That's for those who don't believe the Lord. But that act of punishment served as discipline then for the rest of the people. And a reminder to cherish the Lord's discipline of, of training them and growing them. Now, I don't know about you, but if that happened on my way out the door this morning... And uh, we saw the, hopefully none of you, of course, the earth open up, swallowed somebody whole, and you knew it was the Lord, what would you do? I would run. That's what the people do, they run. But then the next day, you would think they would obey. They would learn from that, but they don't. The next day, they come back complaining against Moses again. And they're like, Moses, you are responsible for killing God's people. Well, they had chose to sin. They chose to suffer. And uh, in the case of Dathan and Abiram, uh, they never trusted the Lord at all. So uh, they ended up suffering his punishment. Trust him. Trust him. His discipline is much better than his punishment. And he says this then. He says, to remember all these things, consider all this because as you look back, for your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. He told them, think about this, they had wandered, these people that Moses is writing to in Deuteronomy, telling the law to for a second time, they had spent, most of them, their entire lives in a desert wasteland, wandering, living in tents. And he says, look back and consider the goodness and greatness and glory of the Lord in your lifetime. And for your eyes, you've seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. You've seen it happen. I wonder if Moses was writing this to us and he would say uh, at the end of 2020 into 21, if he would turn on the news or open up 
a couple different web pages and, and read about everybody just complaining about 2020 and, oh, I can't wait for 2020 to be gone. I can't wait for 2021. Bring it on, right? And, and for good reason. But I wonder if he would say, hold on, slow down. Consider today all that the Lord did for you last year. His grace to you, his goodness, even though it might have been a, a total wilderness and a wasteland for you. Surely there were good things he did. Surely your eyes have seen the great work of the Lord, even in a year like 2020. And God has us look back. Why? So that we can trust him and that we will trust him moving forward. So that we'll trust him moving forward. If 2020 was the hardest year of your life, you made it through. And you can trust God to take you forward. If it was a really good year, you know that he's good and you can trust him today and going forward. God has us look back so that we'll trust him moving forward. Uh, look at verse eight. Uh, you shall therefore, whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you ask yourself, what's it therefore? Well, he had, just, he had just told them to look back, to consider all these things. So after considering these things, maybe for you and me, after considering 2020 and whatever happened in your life, Therefore, keep the whole commandment that I command you today. Therefore, obey the Lord. Why? So that you be blessed, so that you be strong, so that you can go in and take possession of the land that you're going over to possess, so that, so that you can go into 2021 with confidence, trusting the Lord that, that he will bring you through. Because who knows, 2021 might be even worse than 2020. But God's in control. And when you have this context for life, it makes sense and you can make sense of it and trust him that you can live long in the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers, to give them and to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, a profitable, a safe, a secure, blessed place. And God has us look back so that we trust him moving forward. And same with the people here and know that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Now, this isn't a cheery, like, infomercial, you know, live your best life today. This is truth. The best is yet to come. I didn't say 2021 is going to be the best year of your life. I just said the best is yet to come. It is. There's hope for you and for me as we trust the Lord. And there was hope for God's people as they entered this land. See, uh, look at verse 10. For the land that you're entering to take possession of, it's not like the land of Egypt. Remember Dathan and Abiram, they said, uh, Egypt was a land flowing with milk and honey. God's like, nope, uh -uh. the land I'm taking to, it's nothing like that. <laughs> it's nothing like that. From which you've come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like, like a garden of vegetables. But, I think he would say to you too, the, the place that you're going, the best is yet to come. If you know Jesus, even though this life, you might have been living just in a total desert wasteland for the last year, maybe the last decade, I don't know, where, where over and over you're, you're watering this dry land for a few measly vegetables. <laughs> but guess what? The land you're going to, the promise God has for you, it's not like this place. It's not like the suffering you have to endure here for a little while. But the land that you're going over to possess is, is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water 
by the rain from heaven. See, instead of you having to turn on the hose, God waters it. He gives growth. He gives goodness. He gives grace. He gives mercy. He does that in your life now as you trust him. And then there's still yet the best to come where he's going to do that for you eternally in ways you can't imagine. See, this land is a land that the Lord your God cares for, is what Moses tells him. Does that seem strange to you? That God would care for the God of the universe, who owns everything, would care for a piece of land more than somewhere else. Why does he care for it? There's got to be a reason, doesn't there? And not only this, but look, the eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it. What would it be about the land that God's eyes are always on it, that he cares for it? Well, the people he promised it to. The people who would be there. That's why he cares. The reality is that in God having his eyes upon the land is his care for this place. It isn't so much the place, it's the people. The Lord your God, right? A land the Lord your God cares for. His eyes are on his people. And in case we didn't believe Moses when he said always, he goes on to write from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. His eyes are always on it. So that means from today until the night of December 31st, 2021, the eyes of the Lord will be on you. He loves you. He cares for you. He's not taken by surprise at anything that might come your way this year. There's no escaping his care for you. It might be a year of discipline for you where he'll train you. But always remember he loves you. Behold, the eyes of the Lord is on those who fear him, those who hope in his steadfast love. The eyes of the Lord, Psalm 34, are toward the righteous. He hears their cry. You know, having hope for a new year doesn't mean the next year is going to be necessarily better. We have no idea. But it does mean there's hope. God's promises are always forever, enduringly true and trustworthy. Uh, you know, as we close, uh, there's a young woman who was uh, terminally ill. She had cancer of some sort, and uh, she was on her last days and on hospice. And her pastor came to see her. It really didn't make sense. She was fairly young, about to die. And he spent some time with her. There were a lot of tears shed, a lot of crying. Said goodbye, knowing this would be the last goodbye. And uh, as he did, he was starting to leave. And she said, wait, there's one more thing. After I die... I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And he said, what? She goes, no, seriously, this is really, really important to me. And like, maybe you're thinking, well, why? And so she began to explain to him uh, just some memories from her childhood that she treasured how when, whenever they were with her family, you know, at a big dinner or a big meal, the best part was when somebody, after taking the dishes, would lean over uh, her chair as she was a little girl and say, no, keep your fork. Keep your fork. And she goes, then I knew the best was yet to come. 
the best was yet to come. And so uh, at her viewing, she had a fork in her hand and everybody walked by going, what's with the fork? (laughs) It's just weird. And the pastor would smile and then when he gave the service, he told that story and reminded everyone that her hope was in the future and in Jesus and the best for her was, at that time it had come. And for the rest of us, it's yet to come. Friends, for some of you, as you look back, because God does have us look back, did you look back at 2020? 2020 was the hardest year of your life, bar none. But God brought you through. And so you can trust him to move forward today and tomorrow, knowing with your fork in hand, the best is yet to come. For some, 2020 was a good year. You can trust and know that even as good as it may have been for you, in some ways, the best is yet to come. For some of you, 2021 will be the hardest year of your life. But you can trust him as you look back day after day, knowing the best is yet to come and move forward. Friends, let me just challenge you, and there's some things on your insert this morning you can look at. Uh, Take time, maybe this week, to look back at the last year. To look back, how has God been good to you? How has he been faithful? What have your eyes seen the Lord do, even in the hardest of things? And, And how can you trust him going forward? How would he want you to trust him? Let me pray.